First Corinthians chapter 13, that's where we've read tonight, and I want you to draw your attention back there. Just to background a little bit, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, um, let's see here, Dwight, if we can get a little bit more volume on the, on the speakers, if that's possible, that'd be helpful. The book of 1 Corinthians is written to a backslidden church. Apostle Paul started the church, he stayed there for 18 months, he went away, and they fell apart. Lots of problems. About any church problem that you and I could experience in a church, this church was having. They were fighting with each other, infighting. They were, they were only showing up to church if the preacher that they liked was going to preach that night. They weren't willing to listen to somebody else. If one assistant pastor suggested they do something, they would do it. If another person suggested, they wouldn't do it. They had lots of problems. There was immorality that was not called out. Everyone knew about it, and they were not, to, they were not willing to deal with that. That was one of the problems. A lot of, um, of uh, infighting in the church, matter of fact, Publicly, people taking their court cases with each other in church off to uh, the court and airing out their dirty laundry in front of unsaved judges and, and jurors and bailiffs and so forth and so on. There were just many issues. There was stinginess. They were not giving as they should, and he does talk to them about that. They were letting false teachers come in and teach them that, their, that the resurrection had already passed. And uh, he dealt with them a little bit about that and talked about chapter 15. Another problem is just a lot of selfishness and a lack of willingness to, to help each other. And by the way, Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Love is something that is the only badge of discipleship this careless world recognizes. When they see a Christian that loves somebody, loves another person, one of my favorite compliments in this church when people come is, I, I've heard this said many times as people exited, I felt God's spirit in this church. I love that. Another one I love is I've, I had a man who's now a Christian. He is attending a church close by his house in Michigan this evening. But he said this, he goes, I've never been more loved any place in the world than I was loved in that room except for my mother's house. He said, I, I can't believe how much love there can be in a room. But now that's his, that's his opinion. I didn't make that up. He said that. But I love it when people recognize love. And Jesus wants, he said, I want that to be the case. Well, you would not have recognized it initially in the church at Corinth. It was a very carnal church. He said, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to feed you with meat, but you're still on milk. You're still a bunch of babies. You're catty. You're, you're like little kids in the nursery fighting over stupid stuff and forgetting the bigger picture. One of the challenges in three chapters of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, have to do with many spiritual gifts that God gave his people. Most of which, many of which, are some are, are, are operable today. Some of them went away when the scriptures came. Of course, the early church, there's no one that could stand up and say, turn to the book of Ephesians because the New Testament was not finalized yet. They couldn't say, turn to the book of Luke or Acts or Revelation, because that was not, that was not yet um, canonized or put together. The Old Testament was done, but the New Testament was not done. So when people came to church, they were dependent upon people who would give prophetic truth from God that he, that he supernaturally gave to them for the edifying of the church. There was not, you couldn't have brought your Bible in the New Testament to the early church. 
They were dependent upon God giving a man uh, uh, in, in church, a man, the prophecy. In, in public, ladies could go and prophesy or pro- proclaim in soul winning. Uh, Philip and his wife had four daughters, and they were known for being soul winners. They were very good about giving the word of God out. Speaking in tongues. This was something that was done in, in the time before the New Testament was completed. And now tongues is not a, I don't think there's any, any proof that if it's an angelic language as much as it is a natural, a, a true language. And it was primarily given for the Jewish man or woman. The Bible says in, in context in this passage of Scripture, chapters 12, 13, 14, that the Jews required a sign. They needed to have a miracle. Now, you and I, we are Gentiles, most of us. There's a few Jewish people in the room. But at the time, the Jews had inside track because they had their Bible. They had the Old Testament. They had Genesis 3.15 that said one day the seed of a woman would bruise the head of Satan. They had Isaiah chapter 7 and 14 and 9 and 6 and where it says a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. And, but to the Gentiles, they didn't have that. So these folks have been anticipating the Messiah for generations. And one of the things that would convince them that Jesus was a consideration as the true Messiah was a miracle. A miracle. Remember Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John when he came to Jesus at night And he said to him, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God is with him. What really convinced Nicodemus to approach Jesus and and say, I know that you really come from God, was the miracles that he did. Once again, Nicodemus, a Jewish man. When you see tongues in the New Testament, you will almost always, and maybe without exception, I don't know if I'm exactly right on that, you always see a Jewish person present. In the book of Acts chapter 2, whenever uh, the chapter 1, Jesus goes up. Chapter 2, the Spirit comes down. And it fills the Jewish believers. There are 120 of them in the upper room. And they leave that upper room under the filling of the Holy Spirit and they begin to go out. And there's Jews from all over the world who know two languages at least. One, they know the the Hebrew language because they're Jewish. They speak that in their homes. They, They train their children with that. They read their Bible in the Hebrew tongue. But they know another language too is wherever they're working, they've learned a trade language. If you and I moved to Managua, Nicaragua, we would learn Spanish if we're going to stay there very long. If you're going to move to Tokyo, Japan, you would have to learn, if you're going to stay there very long, you need to learn the language. Well, these Jews that went all over the world, they would learn the tribal language or in Africa or wherever they were, they would learn these languages. And when they assembled in Jerusalem, the Bible's very clear that as these 120 filled Holy Spirit-filled people, Spirit-filled people went out. People are listening to them and they're saying, hang on a second. How do you know Japanese? Where are you from? And they would say, I'm from Galilee. He said, yeah, but how is it that I'm hearing you in my trade tongue? And it was a miracle. Now, the miracle didn't save anybody. The miracle that Jesus did did not save Nicodemus. But it gave him a a listening ear. 
And when they saw all the people, they said, wow. And they said, how? And then Peter stood up and he spoke in Hebrew, not in a, in a foreign tongue, but in Hebrew. And he preached the gospel and those people responded. Well, in the church of Corinth, there was lots of carnality and there was a lot of confusion. If you want to look at the last verse of chapter 14, verse number 40, if you would please, and read it, if you would please, together with me. Chapter 40, chapter 14, verse number 40. You ready? Let all things be done. Yeah, look, if you would please, verse 33 of that same chapter. God is not the author of what? But of, and all the churches, the saints. So he says, look, now this, is a, this is not to bring confusion to you. This is to clarify some things. So that's the context. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that too much tonight. But I want you to know the context. Chapter 12 is, is an explanation of the gifts that would be applicable today, the gifts that would not be applicable after the New Testament came. Chapter 13 confirms that. And then rules on how to use these interim gifts while we wait for the New Testament to, to be compiled or to be completed. So those are the three chapters there. Well, chapter 13, the problem was there was very little love in the church of Corinth. Now, we use oftentimes 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to talk about marital love. But quite frankly, in, in context, it's talking about, uh, about church members loving. It's talking about Christianity played out in love. And it can be applied to the marriage relationship, but it's certainly not only exclusive to that. But the Apostle Paul, he gives some explanation of the gifts. Chapter 13, he's going to focus on how to perform the gifts and what the greatest gift is, and that's charity. If you'll look at the last verse of chapter number 12, would you look at that quickly, quickly and read verse 31 with me, everyone? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yea, I show unto you what's the excellent way? It's charity. Now he's going to begin to define this. Let's look at verse 13, chapter 13, verse number 1. Ready? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or... Over here we have a symbol over there, and tonight it was played. But none of us right now can hear what was played earlier. It, it, it smashed, it made a loud sound, and people maybe even banged on it with that, but it just kind of went away. And oftentimes in the markets of the day, just like if you go into a store, rarely will you go into a retail store without some background music being played. If it was just absolutely nothing, you, would, you probably wouldn't buy as much. But in the markets of the day, they would pay guys just to bang some tingling cymbals, keep some noise going on in the background so that the hustlers and those people who are trying to sell stuff uh, to get their wares out would have some noise in the background to be able to talk to people. But whatever you assemble with, it came together, bang, in a few seconds, it, it did not last. And he's talking here about the communicational gifts. He says, if you speak like, a, like a, an angel, you have the gift of tongues, and you know this language and that language, and you have multiple languages that you can, that you can communicate in. We have people in this room who can speak four or five languages that are here sitting among us. He said, if you can speak the speak, if you have the, a tongue of an angel, a superhuman being, but you don't have charity, 
you don't really have a lasting impact. Charity needs to go with your communicative gifts. Let's look at verse number two. The Bible says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, now I, I know God's let me tell what the, what his, give his truth out and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith that I can remove mountains and have not charity, he says, I am nothing. No lasting influence, really lo, no legitimate personal um, significance. He said, if you, if, if, if you have knowledgeable things, you've got comprehension, you, you understand stuff, and you know the Bible, and you know the prophetic things, but you don't have love, then you have no personal significance. Verse 1, we have no long-lasting influence. Verse number 2, we have no personal significance. He says, I'm nothing. I'm a zero with the, the, with the, with the, with the zero rubbed out. Okay, let's look at number 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now we see that there's very much compassion and generosity. Though I give my body to be burned. I'm not sure if I'm standing in that line. And have not charity. If I, don't, if I give sacrificially. Compassionately. But I don't do it with charity. It profiteth me nothing. There is no profitable inheritance. So if I do great sacrificial things by giving and by laying down my, my talents and my resources, but love is not a motivation. It doesn't carry the same eternal inheritance. So I think it's obvious to say whatever, whatever God is using Paul to say on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God is that charity is very important. And it needs to be blended into my my. Every fabric of my, my, my being, whether I'm speaking, whether I'm learning, whether I'm doing or giving or participating, love needs to be attached to each of those things. And uh, we, we find this is uh, amazing. I think uh, love is very few things. God doesn't, he does say he's holy. God is holy. You've heard a song on that tonight. It's a beautiful song. Thank you, choir and orchestra. But... Um, but God doesn't say God is peace, but he says God is love. He defines himself in that. And he's saying here there's, there is a more excellent way, and that is love. So love needs to come through. Years ago, I heard the story of, uh, of uh, a guy named Vance Havner. He was an evangelist. And he had uh, his precious wife and him could not have children. They had no children of their own. And he was an evangelist traveling all the time. But every week he would travel, he had a sweet wife. I think her name was Sarah. If I'm wrong, please forgive me. But she would pack his bag. And she would fold everything so beautifully and so organized. And every time he would go out, she would polish his shoes. She would polish them and do it with, with great uh, intricacy and detail. Put them in a little bag and put them inside of his suitcase. And he would run off to get on the bus or the plane or wherever else he was going. He would tell the story later that his wife got ill and she passed away. And he says, now I send my shoes down the street to a little cobbler there and there's a young man that comes and we pay him to polish my shoes. And he does a great job. But not like my wife. Because in his shoes, in the shoes he does, there's no love in the shine. But in my wife's shoes, 
She was doing it not for money. I didn't give her any money to do it. She did it because she loved me. This guy does it for a paycheck. He does it for a thing. You know, the truth of the matter is, there needs to be love in our shine, in our service for the Lord. Whatever we do, we ought to say, Lord, look, if duty brought you on this Sunday night, boy, don't let duty take you out to your car. Decide, you know, I'm here because I love you, Lord. I think many of us did this, but I sat right here a few moments ago and listened to Holy as He, and I thought, Lord, if I showed up on this platform just to, just to try to perform a responsibility, please forgive me. I love you. I want you to know I love you. I don't have any exterior motivations I know about. I want to be here because I love you and you love me. And I want to be a blessing to God's people. You know, the truth of the matter is whether you drove a bus today or teach a Sunday school class or maybe just came and participated in the service prayerfully. Let love be in your shine, in your service. Well, he tells us that love is very important. Then he'll go on in chapter, chapter 13, verse 4, through eight, and he'll tell us, he describes us love. He'll say eight things that love uh, is negative, that, that love won't do, and eight things that love will do. And I won't be able to give due justice to that tonight, but let's just look at a little bit and see what love looks like. By the way, every time you see the word charity in this list, you could put the name Jesus in this list, and it would read just normal. You could put Christ in that list and you would read, Christ suffereth long and is kind. Christ envieth not. And by the way, in this lifetime, what you want to be and what I want to be as a child of God, I'm not going to hell. I deserve to go to hell, but I'm not going there. Not one second I'll ever spend in hell. I deserve to, but I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved. And he never is going to leave me. I've grieved him, but he never leaves but in the meantime, I should be getting closer and more and more like Jesus. And one thing we know that Jesus is, he's not a respecter of persons. We know that. We know that he loves. And we want to be like that. Let's look and see what love looks like. Now, you know, there are people who think, oh, you know, I love is a great feeling. I heard a little boy say one time, love is a feeling you get when you feel like you're going to feel something you've never felt before. There's a lot of feeling in that statement right there. But love is not a feeling. It's a decision. Love is not a fuzzy-wuzzy you have on the inside of you. Love is a decision. What God so loved the world that he gave. It's a decision. Compassion is love in action. God has compassion. Aren't you glad that his compassions fail not? His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Well, we need to be like Jesus in that way. Here's what love looks like. Let's just see the definition. We've already seen that love enhances our ministry. Now let's see it explains its meaning. Let's look at that if we can, please, at verse number four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Those are two positive things about love. It suffers long and is kind. If you look in this list, you'll see several things that show us that love suffers long. It is long-suffering to people. And we'll see several things that it is kind. But, but with that in mind, number one, we see a positive thing. It suffers long. It is willing to be patient with other people. Now, love covereth a multitude of sins. Love is, is patient with other people. 
Now, in any human relationship, if you know more than three people, there'll be someone in that three group that'll get on your nerves occasionally. How they scratch their head will get on your nerves. How they talk or how they say things are just like, oh, yeah, good night. You know what you need for that? You need long-suffering. Long-suffering. Long-suffering and graciousness or kindness. We're talking about what love is. You say, well, I know how to love somebody. I, I always trot that way. I know how to do it. We'll find out, Spanky, when we look at this list right here. You can think you know what love is, but we'll be able to see the test questions, and you can pass or fail yourself. But I'm telling you what, I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> when I look at this list, I'm, oh, man, love is patient. How long does it take you to get frustrated with somebody? Something. How quickly are you, are you, you just like, ah? Well, we're, we're, looking at the, we're looking at the love thermometer there. And we're seeing where we are in our love. Love suffereth long. Love is kind. And usually in the face of times where you don't want to be kind and you don't want to suffer long. That's what love does. Look at the next one, if you would, please. Verse number four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Number one, number, the next thing is the negative statement. Charity envieth not. It's not jealous. It's not... Um, it's not wanting something to bad happen to someone or want what someone else has. Number two, love, uh, charity, vaunteth not itself. It is not something that puts itself out front. For the long as I've known people, and you've known people that way, and especially whenever you are overseeing a project or you're overseeing a group, you'll always find someone in that group that will have an agenda that favors them. They'll ask you for things, not because they want to be good for the group, but they want to be good for them. And that's inside of me, and that's inside of you. But he said, real love, it doesn't envy. Real love doesn't make its own desires a priority. This is, this is, this is on another level. The Bible tells us, look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He said, love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It does not put his own selfishness in agenda. By the way, the number one, and I think this is true. I heard Brother Willette say this years ago, the number one problem in marriage is selfishness, is being selfish, is making sure, hey, how about me? How about how I feel? How about what happened to me? But real love doesn't vaunt itself. Look at the next thing, if we can, please. It is not puffed up. It's not prideful. It doesn't, it doesn't exalt itself. Number five, it does not behave itself. Verse five, it does not behave itself unseemly. Charity doesn't um, act eccentric. It doesn't, it doesn't act inappropriate. It doesn't embarrass those around them. You know, oftentimes, I... I uh, I've seen this and I've experienced this and I've no doubt have done this. But oftentimes we, 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 we tease people. We hurt people. We act inappropriate. We don't care about their feelings, their, 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 their perspective. We just want it our way. We do it our way. He says that's not. It doesn't, it doesn't act unseemly. It's not inappropriate. It doesn't cause everyone else around them to be embarrassed by their actions. 
Look at the next one the Bible says in verse number five. It seeketh not her own. Once again, it's not got its own agenda as the rule. It is not easily provoked. Um, he says real love is not easily angered. Listen, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall what? Offend them, cause them to fall. And here it is, it's the love of God's word and loving Jesus that causes me not to be easily offended. People that are offended easily, oftentimes, their real problem is they got love, but it's all for them. They got lots of love, but it's them that they're focused upon. And I've been there, I've done it, I've, I've lived this out. He said, he said, love, it does not behave itself unseemly, it's not easily made angry. If you're made angry easily, you got a love problem. You got a love problem. And but the love is you love you. And you're not loving the Lord. You're not have the, the agape love that God wants to bestow upon you. It's not, it's not our ancestry. It's not how I was raised. It, it, is, it is a love problem that God shows us here. Look at the next one, if you would please. We're looking at verse number uh, five. It thinketh no evil. It's not suspicious. It doesn't think negatively of other people around us. Once again, this, this gets down where the rubber meets the road. He said, this is what love is. This, this is, what love is. It, will have these ne- it will not have these negative attributes. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't look to find a problem. It rejoices not in iniquity. It does, love doesn't love sin, doesn't like sin, and nor does it see anything funny in sin. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, only fools, fools make a mock at sin. Let me tell you something, homosexuality is not funny to God. And it should not be laughed at. Immorality is not funny to God. The party lifestyles, sexual innuendos and jokes, they've never been funny one day to God. It's one of the reasons he went on the cross to pay for that. He who had no sin became sin for us. He said, real love doesn't rejoice in any kind of immorality or sin or iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. We'll pick up here. Now we've talked about love, what love is. Now we've seen eight things that love is not, but love suffers long, it's kind. The next thing it says, it rejoices in the truth. Love's focus is truth. And nothing will cause you to be a lousy lover like believing a lie. Like a lie, like you deserve to be happy. Can you find that in the Bible for me? That's not a, that's not a biblical truth. I deserve to be happy. That's not in the Bible, friend. That's a lie. And you know what that'll do? That'll cause you to have very little love for others around you or for the Lord himself. It rejoices in the truth. Let's look at verse number six. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So its focus is truth. It beareth all things. It means love is forbearing. Now, you say, Pastor, what's the difference between forgiveness and forbearing? Now, most of us know we're supposed to forgive, and, and forgiveness is, is, is just, it's God's plan for conflict. If somebody hurts you, they violate you, they stole from you, they, they hurt you, God's answer for that ultimately is forgiveness. Now, forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness has to be granted, Trust has to be developed. And if you, if you steal from me and you're going into my garage and taking tools out and I catch you and you say, Pastor, please forgive me. I just need the money for something. And, 
and I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Yes, I should say, all right, you stole from me, you owe me, but I'm not going to collect, and I'm going to forgive you. But I'm probably going to put another lock on my door. And I'm, I'm going to be watching you. Because forgiveness is granted. It needs to be. I'm commanded to do it. But trust has to be redeveloped. Has to be earned again, if you will. And you're not God, and you don't know when that's going to happen. And, and yet, here's what God's going to tell us. He said, you know what? If love believeth all things, love's focus is truth. That's what you're looking for if you really love. Your focus is truth. Love's, love, love shows itself in forbearance. Now, forgiveness is assuming the hurt that someone has given me and yielding all rights to repayment to God and saying, you know what, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take the hurt. I'll pray for my offender. I'll turn over my attitude and my, and my effort to make them pay back to the Lord. You try to make someone pay that's hurt you, you're off your rug. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, forbearance is a, different, is a different animal, in my opinion. Forbearance is, for, ahead of time, bearing. So it's, it is deciding that that's not going to be an offense I have to forgive. That is something ahead of time that I'm going to accept. Okay, I'm going to give you a silly illustration. How many have someone in your house that sometimes doesn't put the cap back on the toothpaste top? You have anybody like that? Drives you crazy, right? Or there's just something, they, they, they just don't do something that you feel like it's so simple. Just do that. Every once in a while our kids are growing up, they would take a wet towel and they just throw it over top, you know, and it's all balled up. I'm saying, guys, if you'll just take a second and spring it out, by the afternoon it'll be dry again. Now, if I don't do that, then I'm going to take that and smell like, a, it'll smell like a, a, your junior high locker room. That's what it's going to smell like. Just spread it out. And then I'll go again, and I see this balled up thing. I'm like, I want to take their arm off and beat them over the head with it. I'm telling you, what, what is wrong with you? But there's some things in, in life that you need to not have to say, that's not going to be an offense. I love them, and I'm choosing ahead of time to forbear. It's not going to be a problem because I've chosen ahead of time. I don't have to forgive him for that. That is something I'm willing to bear gladly. And if you want a lesson on that, talk to my wife. She has done that for 35 years with me. There are many things, no doubt, that I do that she's like, ah, John, ah, I love you. It's okay. And I don't even know about them. She might have reminded me one or two times, but you know, you heard about a girl who says, Girls talk 30,000 words a, uh, a day, and men talk 15,000 words a minute. And, and the woman said, you know why that is, right? We have to repeat everything we say twice so you can get it, right? <laughs> she probably has reminded me about that, but, but, but many things I would do, she's just like, ah, I love you, John. Not, that's not coming up. You know what she's chosen to do? Forbear. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, no one's hurt you as bad as you hurt Jesus. If he'll forgive you, then you need to forgive them. Let's look at the next thing the Bible tells us. In verse number, uh, verse number 7, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, 
endureth all things. So uh, we see the focus of love is, is truth. Forbearance is what love does. Believeth all things. It has faith that God can work through things, even things that are, are disappointing and hurtful. But it believeth all things. It's not skeptical. It hopeth all things. The word hope in our Bible uh, is talking about an anticipation based upon what God said would happen. None of us ever been to heaven. None of us ever been on the other side of eternity. But the Bible says, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know, the reason I'm going to heaven is because I have a hope. I have a guarantee based upon God's word. What do we call the coming of Jesus Christ? The word rapture is not in the Bible. We sometimes call it the second coming, but... But the way that Titus explains it, it is the blessed what? Hope. It's the blessed hope. It means he's coming again based upon his promise. If I go, I will come again and receive you into myself. So heaven is a hope. His return is a hope. He said, he said real love hopeth all things. It, 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 it concentrates on future blessings. Aren't you glad that in this life, we're all messed up, but one day we'll see Jesus and we'll be like him because we'll we like him. And 1 John chapter 3 tells us that. That's our hope. Look at the next thing, what else love does. It hopeth all things. It endureth all things. We see its fortitude. It is able to go through. May I, 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 when I have problems, I want to get out of them. God wants me to go through them. And when I go through them, strength is a result. I endure all things. That's what love does. And then verse number eight, read it with me if you would please. Charity never what? It's, it's, it's fidelity. It's faithful. It, it, it is, you can count on it. You see these eight negative things and eight positive things. This is the description of charity. So you pastor, so what do you give all that to you? I just think God gives us meaningful uh, definitions to what love is. You want to say, well, I got a problem here with my friend or my brother or my mom or my sister or my, my uh, husband, my wife. You might want to do a little study on four verses of the Bible. Chapter four through chapter, uh, verse four through verse number eight. And say, now, do I really know what love is? And am I showing love to those around me in the local church, in the family setting, but especially in the local church? If there's a place you cannot afford not to love, it is in the local church. Because the local church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And you know what the world needs? It needs the truth. It need, every one of you who got saved, got saved, one of three reasons. And the com combination of three things. Number one, someone showed you the Bible. Number two, the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin and your righteousness and your, and your judgment to come. Number three, a church like this one did its job. Everyone who gets saved gets saved because a church stayed open long enough to tell the truth, to get the truth out. And this is wonderful. This is, this is one of the reasons. I, now, this is not a perfect church. We got more problems. You can shake a stick yet. But I want to be a part of a church like this one that keeps getting the gospel out, keeps getting the gospel out. You know, why do we show 10 missionaries? Why do we collect uh, $40,000 last week for missions, it's not going to help us here. It's not going to put paint on our walls or fuel on the bus or insurance on the property. It's just going to go to get people saved we never even met before. We'll never see in this lifetime. Why? Because the church has a job to get the gospel to the whole world. 
And that's what love does. And, and, and there is ever a place that it, and when we have low love, we'll have low evangelism. Whenever we get distracted by interpersonal problems, we get captivated by materialism, we'll have less e- effort to get the gospel out. See, the higher we can go in our love for God, the higher our ceiling of commitment is to do more for him. He's teaching us how to love. Let's real quickly conclude our, our uh, chapter with verse number nine, or verse eight. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall what? Okay, so one day you won't need someone to stand up in church and say, God has given me a prophecy. Now, at the time of the writing of this, that was necessary. There was needful, because no one could say, turn to Matthew, turn to Acts, turn to Romans, turn to Revelation. It wasn't possible. So there needed to be someone to prophesy. When they came to church, why else would they come? They had to come so that someone who would be anointed by God would proclaim his truth. Let's look at the next one. And whether there be tongues, they show what? There'll be a time where tongues will no longer be needed. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. In chapter 12 and verse number 9, you'll see the gift of, of wisdom of, and of knowledge. But I think oftentimes knowledge was someone who knew if that was true from the Lord. So in any given church from time to time, there would be false prophets. Because it was a vocal gift. It was a, it was a gift that when you did it, people were like, wow, man, you got to speak tonight. God really used you. So every once in a while, you get a clown that would say, well, I want to speak sometime. And he got all the attention last three services. I want to say something. And so they would get up and they would say something. God told me to tell people. And then there would be someone with the gift of knowledge. And they'd say, what do you think about that? And they would say, that's not from the Lord. And you needed to have a check. Today, we have the Bible. You have a Bible, I have a Bible. We can, we can see clearly what the Bible says. And we can, we can see that. But at this time, there needs to be somebody with some knowledge to say, that's from the Lord, that's not from the Lord. There needs to be someone with a little bit of discernment to figure out that. But he said, that's not going to be needed at time in the same way it was used in the early church. Let's look at the next verse if we can, verse number 9. For now, for we now, for we know in part, and we prophesy how. In part. So, could if we didn't, if they couldn't take the whole Bible and begin to share with the whole thing, the counsel of God, they would just share a little bit. I imagine, no doubt, one of the prophecies in the early church was something like this: Children, God told me this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So that that he said, look, he said. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Husbands, love your wife and be not bitter against them. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. He would give whatever, whatever the message was of the day, but it was just, that was something they didn't have written down someplace. That was a, he said, now we prophesy in part and we know only in part. We, when we come to church, we don't have the whole counsel of God. Look at verse number 10. But when that which is perfect, and once again, what does the word perfect mean in our King James Bible? Complete, mature. When that which is perfect, complete is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Some people reference that and say, no, that's when Jesus is coming back again. But even if you look into the Greek, it is, it is, it is, it is a neuter form 
of, uh, and it's not talking about a person, it's talking about a thing. He said, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part should be done away. Look at verse number 11. He said, when you have it all, when, when, when the New Testament is completed, then you don't need the other, these other three gifts in particular. These are the communication gifts talking about here in chapter 13, of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Then in verse number 11, he gives an, the illumination in verse number 10. Now he gives an illustration in verse number 11. Look at it with me. Read it out loud with me, would you please? When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, so here's the illustration he's saying. Now, I said, look, when we were kids, we talked like a little child would talk. If you want water, kids might say, Daddy, Daddy, I want wawa. Okay? And he's like, like what did he say? So he wants water. Sometimes even kids can interpret for their parents what the kid is saying. Well, when the kids are little, they say dumb things. You know, like, where's my binky? My binky. You know, oh, he wants his pacifier, you know. Well, where's my blankie? I want my blankie. Oh, get, get the kid the blanket. Well, we understand they're little kids. But if a kid is 19 years old, just finished high school, say, Mommy, where's my blankie? You're like, come on, man. You got to grow up. You know, I'm looking for my binky. You know, like, come on, man. No, no, you're in high school now. Come on, you stop talking like that. He said, when you're a little kid, you talk like a little kid. But as you get older, you put away childish things, and you become an adult. And at the time, this is the early church. And it, and it couldn't read yet because it didn't have a New Testament. And he said, you know, when we're, when we're little, we have to have we have to do, do in part, know only a little bit, and hear a little bit, a little bit there. But if, when we become a man, we put away childish things. He uses another illustration in the, last, in the next verse, verse number 12. And now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know also in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And of course, this is a reference, and, and we can use this, uh, Linda, when our, our son passed away, he was in a vehicle that had tinted glass. When we went to visit the site, we saw lots of, of broken tinted glass there. We saw little taco packets because they had stopped at Taco Bell um, prior to the accident. And we saw, unfortunately, we saw blood and we saw other things that were there and coins and things that are on the side of the road there. We saw a lot of broken glass. And it was tinted because the, the, the window that, that uh, he was laying over was broken and there's a lot of tinted glass there. And my wife said, you know, John, like this verse says, you know, I don't understand why that Tyler had to die when he died. And now I look through the glass darkly, but one day it'll be clear for me to see it. And, you know, that's true and that's a great application for this passage of Scripture. It's not the main interpretation in my opinion. I think it's saying, you know what, now when we go to church, Apostle Paul is telling the church, he says we don't have the full picture. It's kind of like uh, we, we look in this glass, but we don't see a real clear total view of what's really going on. But when that which is perfect has come, when the Bible's complete, then we'll have it all in black and white coming from our God. It will be there. 
And then we'll know even as also we're known. Then you can read it and I can read it. and We'll all know what the Bible says together. But then he goes back to the purpose. He said, now abideth faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. So the Apostle Paul seems to me like he, he blends uh, theological teaching about the importance of the Scriptures, the interim gifts of the, of the Spirit that God gave the early church, and in some ways, he gives it practically to us today. I'm sure there are people who have gifts at learning languages. There are people that are gifted with prophecy that are very good at explaining the gospel and have a passion to do it and a passion for truth. There are people who are very discerning when they hear a pastor preach. It's not a spiritual gift as it was in that day to say false prophecy, but they can see things like, hey, I don't know if that's exactly right. What pastor said, I'm not sure it's true. Uh, we might want to evaluate that. That's all right. But in, not in these things, he's showing that. But he's also, the main reason, I believe, is teaching the church. And that makes up all of us. Remember that little saying when you were kids? This is the church, and this is the steeple. Open the doors, and there's all the people. Well, you and I are the people that make the church. And one thing that you and I want so that we can be used and we can enhance our ministry for the things of God, is we need to have love, charity. And these attributes, these 16 attributes that are listed here, they need to be in me and need to be in you for us to have the greatest impact while we're living and waiting for our Savior to come.